All right. Are we ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the incredible power of your word, Lord. Once again, we open our hearts, our minds, our souls up to the power and the precision of your word, Father. Let it be very insightful. Let it be very incisive. Let it come in and sharply do away with stuff from our soul and let the spirit with your spirit our spirit father joined with your spirit let us hear what you are saying to us god let us be the people that you've called us to be and let us operate out of that place let us move from that place and let us uh, be all that you've called us to be in jesus name amen amen well we are taking back pentecost we're on a journey it's been hijacked and uh you know it's been sanitize the whole principle of of the Holy Spirit and what he looks like in the modern day church but something tells me when I read back through the book of Acts the Pentecost and the early church was a very messy place to be in and I like messy I do messy really well I'm not good with formality and uh, somehow I think you know even though God is an incredible God of order uh, but he's not religious and he's not restricted by man's ideas of what religion or, or what the Spirit of God should look like. And so the Bible tells us that his spirit is like a wind. It will blow wherever he wills it to blow. And uh, I think wind can sometimes make things messy, um, stir things up, throw things around a little bit. And I like that kind of idea of church. So I think it's time to take back and to yield to whatever the plan is and the purpose is that God has for his people. So we're taking back Pentecost, guys. We're preaching into that. We're teaching into that. But more than anything, we want to walk in that. And we want to train everyone and equip everyone to be individuals who live in that. It's not enough just to come to church and sit uh, under the preaching, the anointing of the word of God. Like, that's good. And we all need that. And that's what we're supposed to do. But we need to be living, vibrant souls 24-7. Every day of our lives, there needs to be something flowing through our lives. There needs to be a river of God flowing out of our lives, impacting our marriages, impacting our families, impacting our relationships, impacting our finances, our communities, everything. It should be impacting everything because there's a river of God that is meant to flow out of us. We are meant to be the people of God in action. So I want to start today we're going to read from i'll just read briefly i mentioned this scripture last week so you can just jot it down but in exodus 33 12 and this is the whole principle of of moses um standing there ready to receive from god and a little bit frustrated with the people of god because he's already had the the ten commandments handwritten by god smashed them got uh, smashed them because he was angry with the people because they had gone ahead and built a golden calf. And now he's interceding before the people and he's quite frustrated and yet the heart of this, this man as a leader is phenomenal. And so in verse 12 it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Because remember God has just said, listen, let me wipe them all out. They're all disobedient. Let me just start with you. So Moses is probably a little bit confused right now, saying, well, who are you going to actually send with me? Who are you going to make a nation with? And what's actually going on here? So, he said, so he's coming back to God, and he's, this is called intercession. This is what leadership looks like. When we stand in the gap, you know, the fear of God isn't being afraid of God. It's reverencing him and honoring him, but coming boldly into his courts, coming boldly with confidence into his throne room and sitting with him. You know, I'm so thankful that I had an incredible 
father figure, my dad who died last year, I'm so thankful that I had him because he made me think I could do anything, I could be anything. It didn't even matter if I did wrong, he would always love me, he would always cherish me, he would correct me, he was firm with me, but he, I could come boldly to him and ask anything. And, and, and not challenge, but expect that if I had tough questions that he would also answer those questions, and he did, he was amazing. And this is what it's like in our relationship with God, our Father. We're not meant to be afraid of Him because the very nature of God is that He is a loving Father. So we can come boldly to Him and ask Him these questions but still respect His position and respect His authority. So He's saying, look, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I have found favor. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. This is a man who wanted to know God. He's on a pursuit to know God. And then, of course, he says, consider too that this nation is your people. So yes, there could be a hint of sarcasm. There could be a hint of protection. Like he's saying, you want to wipe them all out, but don't forget, they are your people. So, you know, like, this is who I'm standing in the gap for. I know, God, I know you're angry. I know you want to wipe them all out. I know I just smashed that handwritten note that you just gave us all. And I'm ticked off too, but don't forget, they are your people. Now, I want to know you. I want to know your ways in order that, to find favor in your sight. And he said, because this is why he wanted favor. He wanted favor, not just so that he could start a website and get a business card and call himself, you know, Apostle Moses or something like that and become famous in the Christian circuit. It wasn't because of that. He wanted the favor of God because he says in verse 14, my pres and, and God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor? So he wants the favor because he's equating it to the presence of God. He's equating favor to your presence. He says, if your presence won't go with me, then how shall it be known that I have found favor? Not just me, but I and your people. So he wants the favor of God, not so that he becomes famous, no, so that he can walk the walk that God has called him to walk in, to go on this journey. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord in verse 17 says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. See, we've got to remember this is so personal for God. He knows us by name. He knows my name. He knows your name. I think that's extraordinary. These people didn't even have the kingdom of heaven in them yet how much more we are part of the bride of Christ. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows your name. He knows my name. This is so personal. He is the ultimate father. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. So here we are celebrating Father's Day. Let's see what a real father looks like. Let's see what a real father looks like. We're doing this series on the anointing. We're up to week nine. 
And uh, we learned last week that the glory of God birthed creation. We found out that the glory of God birthed the nation of Israel under the leadership of, of Moses. And the New Testament calls them the church or the ecclesia in the wilderness, the, the called out people in the wilderness. That same glory we learned birthed the church, led by um, the firstborn amongst many brethren, who is Jesus. And he created a new race or a third race, which is his body. We become it's where there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we are combined now to become one body, um, which has the greater glory. We are the people of God now, and we have a greater glory. The Bible says that it's an ever-increasing glory in our lives, not a fading glory. So we can't separate the glory of God from the anointing that we now have within us and upon us. Because the intention was always to birth a new creation in you and I. With Christ as the anointed one in you being a life-giving force. That was always the intention of God. So we see even from creation, the creation of the world, to now a born-again human being, someone who's born by the very essence of God to that individual, there was always a plan. It's called the plan of redemption or the thread of, of redemption that we can see throughout the Word of God. And we see in the, in the New Testament that he used the same language for us now as it was used for that first house, that first nation, Israel, now the same language is being used about us as the people of God, saying that we are a chosen race. It's a new race, guys. We're a new breed. We're a new breed of people. We are a royal priesthood. We stand before God. We might not look very flash on the outside. You're all saying, speak for yourself, Diane. But, um, you know, but before God, we have a mark. We have an invisible, indelible mark. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we are marked and sealed until the day of redemption. And we are a royal priesthood because he is the firstborn amongst many brethren. We are called to be kings and priests. We are a holy nation, and we are a people for his own possession. That's who we are. When we say, Jesus, we want you to live on the inside of us, instantly, boom, he takes hold of you and he says, welcome to my family. Welcome to this nation. Welcome to this people. Welcome to be part of my possession. So here we are in week nine, and we're going to discover, especially today, that there is always a price to pay to participate in this kind of plan. To be part of this plan, there's going to be a price that we have to pay. You know, we have that very presence, that very glory of God in us, which gives us God's favor. We talked about all this last week. And can I please encourage you, if you haven't been here every week, go back and listen to the podcast, because I'm literally building on what I've said in the past. So I might say one sentence today that maybe a few weeks ago I took however long to preach about. So to get the context, it's good to keep building and going back and listening and looking up the scriptures so that you understand. But we've learned last week that that very glory of God that came onto Mount Sinai, that shook the, the, the mountain and made it tremble, that caused the fire of God, the smoke to be there, that very fire, that display of power whew, and glory is now in us. It's like it's been funneled all into humanity through the cross, through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. That's extraordinary. That is extraordinary. So we have that presence, that glory in us, which gives us God's favor. Because of that presence and the glory and the favor, God wants us 
wants to commission us to be distinct as a, pe- as a people amongst the unbelievers. He wants us to stand out. That's why Jesus says we're meant to be salt. We're meant to be light. We're meant to be the seed that is sown. The seed is the children. In Matthew 13, it talks about the seed being the children of the kingdom. We're meant to be sown into the world full of the word of God, full of the glory of God, living purely from that place of Christ in me. Christ in me, that place of to live is Christ, that, that, that narrow place that we talked about that Paul lived in. That's, we're meant to be like that, sown into our communities, sown into the communities and into the, the places that God has placed us in. So we're meant to stand out. But that sort of commissioning won't be evident in our lives or and sadly if it's not evident in our lives it won't be evident in the world if there's no maturity in us as believers and when i say us i'm talking about leaders and i'm talking about the people who are being led all of us there is a demand on all of us that requires maturity and the maturing of us so my title today is the anointing be courageous and act we have that very presence, that glory of God in us, which gives us God's favour. And we talked briefly last week about the Old Testament, that the uniqueness of Israel as a nation is that the glory of God was actually amongst them and it made them stand, stand out. And so, you know, I, I read it before and I'll read it again, verse 16 of, of Exodus 33. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us. So in other words, it's a journey. For all of us, it's a journey with God. Every part of our lives, every day we wake up, every, everything we do, every, every word we speak, we're on a journey with God. But then it goes on to say, so that we are distinct. In this journey that we have with you, God, we need to stand out that we look like we're your people. There's a mark, there has to be a mark on our lives that shows us up to be separated from every other people on the face of the earth. If indeed we are your people, we should stand out. All right. Why is that? To carry the presence of God. It had to make them distinct because it's always for a purpose. Remember we talked last week that the glory of God is always there, the formation of of a people, the formation of anything is always for a purpose. There's always a moving forward into God's purposes because he's going with us. He is going with you, he's going with me. And there always has to be an expression of that glory. If we have the glory of God on the inside of us, then there needs to be an outworking of that glory. We're not meant to sit around like the Corinthians who came out of Gnosticism and just were more um, you know, fascinated with a spiritualistic kind of, a spiritual sort of atmosphere and, and negating and neglecting the body and thinking that that was just a hindrance to the spiritual world and making it all about their spiritual knowledge and living for themselves and having little glory parties just praying in tongues all the time. No, we're not meant to be like that. Yes, we're meant to experience the presence of God in our church services. In fact, we have to, we should. We should be pursuing that in this place. That's what church is. It's a gathering together of believers. This isn't the gathering of the world. This is the place where we impart. This is where you receive. And this is where we should expect is the coming together of believers. We have the most phenomenal sense of the presence of God and the glory of God. We get filled up. We we know his tangible presence. We pray in the spirit. We sing in the spirit. We do all of that. 
But then there's got to be an outworking of that into the world amongst people who aren't believers because there's always an expression of that glory. And in the New Testament, the reality that is presented by Paul is that this is a mystery hidden from past ages and generations, not as the glory of God among us like with the nation of Israel, but rather with Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it's gone from being among us to now being inside of us. And the scripture for that is Colossians 1, verse 26, and it says, That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. It's, it's amazing. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, Once you were not a people, once you were not a people, you didn't have an identity, but now you are God's people. Isn't that precious? So it's like God has taken the Jew, he's taken the Gentile, and that word Gentile literally just means nations that are not Jewish. They're people who are outside the covenant of that Mosaic covenant with God, the Gentiles. That's what that means. And he takes the Gentiles, he takes the Jews, and he brings those two different races together into one new race. Wow. Amazing. A holy nation. A new, a new breed of people. That's who we're meant to be. So, therefore God wants to commission us to be distinct as a people amongst the, the unbelievers to stand out. And if you go on with that Colossians 1 scripture in verse 27, it says, to them, and who is the them? The them is the saints or the Lord's people. So it's talking about us. We consider ourselves the Lord's people. So to us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's not just among us, but it's within us. It made us distinct, even like I said last week, even to Judaism. It separated everything because now the glory of God is within a person. See, we, we, to be able to make him known, we need to know him. It says that God chose to make known. Well, how does he make known? He makes known through you and I. So, but to be able to make him known, we need to know. And just as Israel was distinct as a people because of him being among them, now so God has chosen us as the saints. The Bible calls us the saints. There aren't, don't believe that, you know, that, that whole stream of, of thinking and, and belief that says that there are specific people who are called saints and they're, they're alive up in heaven right now and we can pray to them. No, there's only one person in heaven that we get to pray in the name of and his name is Jesus. And he's the firstborn of many brethren. And so we don't pray to saints because the Bible actually says we're all saints. That's what the, We're holy people. We're, we're a holy nation. It's our identity. We're the set-apart ones. We're the consecrated people of God. We're a royal priesthood. We're aliens. We're ambassadors. There's all this kind of um, language in the Word of God that describes who we are. We are a people who stand out, who are different. At least that's what we're meant to be. That's how we're meant to live. But God chose the saints to stand out and to be distinct while they are nestled in amongst the Gentiles. Okay, so that's what he's saying. Even among the Gentiles is to make known to them that while we are nestled in among, while we are salt, while we are light, while we are outworking this life of God, this glory of God in us, we are nestled amongst the Gentiles, or in other words, every different type of ethnicity or nation. We are meant to be in amongst them in order that the Gentiles too may desire and participate 
in this glory and in this favor. It's not to make them feel jealous and to make them think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a person on the outside. I'm separated from God. You know, all the Gentile nations, when they would see Israel as the chosen people before the cross, they felt separated from God. They knew they were separated from God. They couldn't enter into that relationship under that Mosaic covenant. They couldn't do it because they weren't Jewish. However, now God says this is, this is a new testament, a new covenant that's been bought by the blood of Jesus, by his very son. And now we are there to be part of living in amongst other nations, other ethnicities, and we are to display something that makes them desire to participate in this glory that is on the inside of us. That is the plan. So rather, rather than feel on the outside, they're now invited into that place as well. So we're talking about the glory of God on the inside of us. <coughs> Pardon me. This is all connected to the glory of God, which is now on the inside. Christ, the anointed one who's on the inside of us. So this is actually a reproductive force that God has placed within us. It's a reproductive force. Therefore, our job is to live that out in amongst them. This whole glory of God, this this reproductive force. We can see it from creation, from the creation of the world. We can see it from the creation of the world and from the creation of mankind in Genesis. We see it, like we said before, from the creation of the nation of Israel. The glory of God was there to formulate, to form, for the formation and the birthing of something. It was there for the creation of this new race called the body of Christ. And the glory of God is there. And therefore, Because it's in us, there has to be something so powerful. This reproductive kind of force, this creative force is within us. And now the goal of God is that we will reproduce that same life of God on the inside of anyone else that we come in touch with. That's the whole reality. That's why Jesus says, go out into all the world and make disciples. How do we do that? Is it by learning the four-point plan of salvation and, and, and reciting a specific prayer? Is it going to a school and, and, and having classes in evangelism? Is it, you know, um, just learning and learning by rote, rote and going to Bible college and, and learning the theology? All of that stuff is fine, but none of that replaces the very glory of God, the force of God, the reproductive force of God that is meant to flow out of you, the river of God that is meant to flow from within to other people. Nothing else can replace that. That's who we are. It doesn't matter whether you got born again yesterday. You can reproduce today. You can reproduce the second after you've given your life to Jesus because now you've got the glory of God, you've got the anointed one living on the inside of you. You can reproduce, you can tell other people. You can live out this life that displays something different about your life. It's amazing. So that same reproductive force, oh, hello, sweetheart. Do you want to preach with me? That's okay. You can let her be. She's being a good girl. See, the glory of God is always for a purpose. It's always moving us forward in his purposes. And there has to be an expression of that glory. See, this is, this is the life that you and I are meant to live. It's not about bringing people to church to get them saved. That's fine. You can do that. But there comes a point where you and I have to start trusting in the glory within. 
where we have to start relying on his voice on the inside, where we have to start going, you know what, it's just little old me. I haven't been saved that long. I don't know very much, but I do know that I have the, the name of Jesus. I do know that I'm special because I'm called by him. I do know that he will answer when I ask. That's simply how Brahma and I did it from the very start. We just started to do exactly that. We just started to live out of exactly that place. We minister from that place within. We reproduce from there. Sure, bring people to church. Great, bring them under the anointing of the word of God. But nothing will replace the life-giving force that is ready to flow out of your belly to the people in your life whom, whom, they, whom you love and whom you cherish. They're the ones that God has given you to be Jesus to. That's why it is so important that we learn to live properly from that anointing within. You know, how can you have bitter waters coming out with there's meant to be sweet waters coming out of our mouth? You know, how are we meant to be displaying Jesus when and, and operating from a place of his anointing if all that comes out of us is like what Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, I'm still treating you like infants. You're acting like mere infants because you're fleshly. How are you fleshly? Because you're jealous, you're striving, you're divisive. You know, if we're still acting in that way, how can we then go out and display the glory of God to the people around us? They'll look at you and go, you're no better than me. In fact, I'm way less jealous than you. I'm way less um, strife-filled than you. I'm way less divisive than you. I don't treat my colleagues like the way you treat your colleagues. I don't treat my husband or, or my wife the way that I see your marriages happening. I don't operate in the same spirit in my family. Why should I need God? You tell me I need God. You didn't tell me I need to come to church. Why? You don't stand out. You're not distinct among me. If anything, you'll make the name of Jesus look bad. You shame the very name that you represent. And then we blame everything. We blame the media and we blame the devil and we blame everything. In, when in fact, it's really that we haven't positioned ourselves to let the flow of God. We haven't surrendered enough of ourselves and yielded to the power of God. We haven't displayed the mercy of God when we could have, when we should have, and we could have chosen that way. We haven't displayed the compassion of Jesus. We've been more fixated on our opinions and being right than just being wrong or being right but being quietly right. And when people say, when they slap you on this cheek, you know, let, let me give you this cheek to slap as well. It's okay. There should be something that oozes out of our lives, like a peace. Hey, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? If we all walked around with this incredible peace, this incredible love, this incredible joy, that nothing you do is going to shake me. Not, none of your behavior is going to rock me. None of your words or your slander or your bitterness is going to shift me. I'll continue to love you. I'll continue to walk in the spirit of peace. I'll continue to die to my own fleshly desires. See, this sort of commissioning that we're talking about, it won't be evident if there's no maturity in the believers. See, I, I, I kind of feel like the church is, is, is um, at a crossroads. The church worldwide is at a crossroads right now. If we're not careful, within one or two generations, we could lose our voice as the people of God. I don't believe that's going to happen because God always has a remnant. But there's a huge responsibility on this next generation to step into the commissioning that God has for you, to walk in what God has given to you. But if there's no maturity in the believers, what are we actually 
reproducing? What are we multiplying? See, the, 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 if you just look at the early church, they multiplied constantly. They, it was actually the word that multiplied. Because how could, how could it multiply? Because the word was multiplying in their personal lives first. The word was in them. They, you talk about, when you read through the book of Acts, it wasn't the supernatural experiences that kept multiplying. See, I get concerned when I look at the, the broader Western church at the moment. It's either incredibly cerebral or it's, it's extremely spiritual. And it's looking for spiritual experiences when really it's not the, that's not the, the, the um, that's not the measurement of spirituality is spiritual experiences. It actually isn't. It doesn't say that the, that the supernatural flow of the glory of God multiplied and, and multiplied the church and the church grew. It doesn't say that the, the presence of God came and it multiplied the church. No, it says the word of God multiplied. The word of God multiplied. See, when the word in you multiplies, guess what happens? Signs follow you. The demonstration of the glory follows you. That's a byproduct of the Word of God flowing in and through your life. We have very weak believers in the 21st century church who do not know their Bibles. We have people who come to us for counselling and they want to suck the life out of us. And I say that in a very highly pastoral way. But they want to draw from us and that's fine. That is our job, is to give. But when you ask them, are you reading your Bible? No. Are you praying? No. Are you praying together? No. Then stop sucking the life out of me and learn to draw from the life that is within you. Come on, guys. Let's grow up. This is a bit of a... Come on. This is where the power is. This is where the answer is. People want to sit and talk for hours about their problems and go over and over. And, you know, and God said to, to Israel in, what is it? Deuteronomy 2.3, he says, listen, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. You know, Marion brought it up in, in communion. It was brilliant. What should have taken, in fact, I don't even think it was a few months. I think it was 11 days. Some commentaries say it should have only taken 11 days to get from there to the promised land. Instead, it took 40 years because they refused to choose. That was a brilliant message that she just brought. Because they refused to choose and just take the step and go forward and make right decisions. And, uh, but, you know, there is a, a price that we have to pay, both in the leader and both in those who are being led. Moses had to pay a price. He had to rise up in leadership in spite of the hard-hearted condition of the people. He had to see the need for and then pay the price of intercession for what the Bible called stiff-necked people. They were stubborn people. And he had to, he had to continually make choices. Will I, will I keep leading them? Will I keep speaking the words of God? Will I keep interceding and praying for them? You know, it's easy to pray for people you really love and who are really receptive and just want, they're just like, come on, lead me, take me, take me, take me. It's like, yes, God, I'll take you, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for the glory of God. But those people, they just sort of stand back and they resist and they pull back and they just, they have an answer for everything and they don't want to listen. And to, to intercede for them, sometimes it's hard. The flesh doesn't want to do it. But that's what leadership dying to self looks like. That's what the maturity in leadership looks like, saying, you know what, I'm just going to let go of my feelings about this and I'm going to pray for that stubborn person right now. I'm going to stand in the gap anyway. Paul had to pay a price. Paul had to pay a price. He had to endure mockery, slander from the very people that he'd birthed 
into the kingdom of God. They slandered him. They had to endure lies, cynicism, beatings, jail, rejection of the very people that he had fathered in the faith and from other leaders. And once again, he also had to see the need for and pay the price of intercession for what he called immature babies who should have actually been ready for solid food. So that's what we see. This is, see, we want the commissioning, we want the glory of God to flow out of us, but it's not going to happen if there's no maturity in the life of the believers. And that's all there is to it. It's that simple. So if we look at Paul, let's look at, um, we read Colossians earlier, but let's, let's go back a couple of verses to verse 24. So Colossians 1, verse 24. This is, this is what it looks like from the position of leadership. He says here, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now we've heard Bram teach on this before and explain this. It doesn't mean that what Jesus did wasn't enough and that somehow Paul, as now an apostle on earth, had to make up for what Christ didn't do enough of on the cross. It's easy to read that and get confused, but that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, there's something lacking in me. The work of the cross, the death of the cross in my flesh is still lacking. I'm, there's still a lot of my own natural responses that are happening, happening here. But I'm willing to suffer your hard-headedness, your stubbornness, your lies, your, 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 the very way you exhaust me as the people that I have to lead. I'm willing to let go of all that, to die to that, so that in my flesh I can learn to let go of that sort of stuff. Because there's a lack of the death and the work of the cross in my own life. So he's saying, I'm ready to do that. Why? For the sake of his body. This actually goes back to his love for Jesus. It's because of him. I'll do this for you, Lord. I'll do this for your people. Kind of like Moses. Lord, you know, these people, I, I get it. I'm furious too. I'm pretty ticked off with them as well. But how? Like this, well, They're your treasured possession. They're holy and they're a kingdom of priests. So here's Paul doing exactly the same thing. He's had enough of them, but he's figuring out, well, by the time I see them again in heaven, they'll be really, you know, they'll be set free and we'll, we'll all be able to enjoy each other's company. But on, while he's on earth, he's like, God, I need you. I need you and I need you to help these people, but I will die. That's why he continually narrowed his life down from this great, you know, um, sort of very confident and overconfident knowledge of the Word of God as a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, narrowed it right down to, you know what? It's really just to live as Christ. It's really just the anointing in me, the anointed one in me. I need to live. What are you saying to me, God? I don't want to think about what I think. I want, I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to think your thoughts. Speak to me now, Lord. I don't trust my own thoughts. I don't trust my own knowledge. I don't trust any of that. I need you, Jesus. You know we can all pray like that? I pray like that all the time. I know I can feel my fears taking me this way. I can feel my anxieties taking me that way. My circumstances are dictating this way. And then, you know, people are saying this and they're drawing me that way. And I have to go, you know what, God, I don't want to listen to my fears, my anxieties, my concerns. I don't want to listen to the opinions of that one and the opinions. I just want to hear you. Yeah. What are you saying to me, God? Yeah. It's, to live is purely Christ. It's, to live, I don't trust everything else. I just want to hear what you have to say to me. That's what it means to live, is Christ. So this is, what, this is what Paul did. For the sake of his body, which is the church, he said, God, I invite, I invite more of the work of the cross in me. I'm prepared to die to my own fleshly 
jealousy, striving, divisiveness, you know, sins of the flesh, all sorts of things. Whatever that needs to go, Lord, I know that you're going to take me through the fire and you're going to purge me, but I'm, I'm willing to do it, Lord, for the sake of your body. Because then he goes on in verse 25 and says, I have become its servant. What it? The church. I've become the church's servant. How? By the commission. There's that word. By the commission that God gave me. Why? To present you guys, you bunch of babies, he's thinking. You bunch of fleshly babies. Well, he's talking to Colossians. He's not talking to the Corinthians anymore. But it's to present you, to you the word of God in its fullness. Like, I'm prepared to go through anything. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it cuts through my flesh. Yeah, I want to I wanna rage. I want to I wanna, you know, hit back. I want to defend myself when I, get, when I get slandered, when I get persecuted, when I get all these things. But he says, I'm prepared to take more of that because, you know, that, that has to die in me. Why? So that the church will rise up and be people who have the Word of God presented in all its fullness. So this was the personal cost that he was prepared to take for his ministry. We lack leadership like this. We, we, we have leadership worldwide now that is more concerned about the benefits that they're getting as workers in the, in the church that are more concerned with what planes they're going to take, whether they have private jets to take them to their meetings. They're more concerned with what sort of service they're going to get on the ground and what kind of tithes and offerings they're going to get than just dying to themselves. We, we, the, the whole church is turned upside down at the moment. Guys, we've got to take it back. We've got to take back the reality of what true, a true apostolic people looks like. A true apostolic people doesn't live in mansions and have three boats and five cars and, and everything else. You know, the apostles were despised. They were the ones that lived very low kind of lives. They experienced the death to themselves. But we've got this upended vision and version of church that has been imported to many nations now that tells us, no, it's all about the pursuit of your happiness. It's all about what you can get out. It's all about the one. It's all about you, you know, be, living a happy life. No, it's not. It's about living for other people and dying to yourself and letting go. Guys, let's, let's you know what, even if our church dwindles down to 10 people, I'm going to preach my little heart out. This is the truth. I know this is truth. And I know God will take truth. Even if I don't see it in my lifetime, the seed of truth will find its way into the soil of someone's heart and it will, it will sprout. And we'll see a generation that knows how to lead my grandchildren, your grandchildren, your children into the purposes of God because God is saying, I need someone. I need someone who's going to live this radically, who's going to live against the flow of what the world says, who lives against the flow of what the Christian world says. So this was the personal cost that he was prepared to pay for his ministry. And then it goes on to say, of course, in 26 and 27, the mystery this is the word, remember? He says, to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What is the word of God in its fullness? It is this. It's this mystery. Whew, this mystery that's been hidden from past ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. 
the glorious riches. In other words, it should be obvious in us. We should be distinct. There should be something glorious in our lives. I'm not talking about big properties, big homes and amazing jobs with six-figure salaries. That's, that's great if that's what God's called you to, to be someone who has all of that. But once again, even that is, you're given that by God so that you can be a blessing. It's not to hoard it and to hold on to it. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about the glorious riches of just the joy of God. Our lives should stand out. People should look at us and be jealous of our marriages. They should be jealous of, of our friendships and our relationships. They should be jealous of the, the peace, jealous in a good way that they desire that. And then we can show them who it comes from. And of course, it's the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. See, this is, this is the kind of power Every human being is looking for power. Every great sin that we see in the world comes from a place of people wanting control and wanting power. Every great criminal network or crime boss comes from a place where they want power. They want control and they want power. You whittle that right down to autocratic fathers and autocratic um, parenting, autocratic nations and governments. It's all about power and control. That's where, where it's all coming from. And yet we have a glory of God that is, is way more powerful than any human power could possibly be. But we have to get our power out of the way. And we have to get our control out of the way. So then it goes on to verse 28 and it says this. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone not just a few of you, everyone, fully mature in Christ. See, this is the goal. This is the goal of having Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the goal of a leader saying, I'm willing to succumb to everything and to keep dying to my flesh for the sake of the church. This is the goal. So that we can proclaim him, admonish him, and so that we can present everyone. And, you know, when we proclaim him, that's kind of the easy thing. But when we admonish people, that's not the easy thing. Most people don't like to be admonished. The flesh in people doesn't like to be admonished, doesn't like to be corrected, doesn't like to, be, to, to, to have someone being abrasive towards what they want. But this is the goal of a good leader. And you don't always see in the natural success. Some people leave, some people walk away and say, well, I'm going to go and choose a church that won't admonish me, that will tell me that I'm allowed to do all this or that I'm allowed to live that way or it doesn't matter if I'm, I'm this, that, it doesn't matter if I abuse my husband, it doesn't matter if I, if I swear like a sailor in, in my family, it doesn't matter if I do this, that and the other. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm controlling of God's people, it doesn't matter if I'm divisive, it doesn't matter if I'm... No, a good leader will admonish people and it's not easy. We spend how many years trying to avoid admonishing people? It's not easy. No one likes conflict. But we've learned the hard way that if you don't, it comes back to bite you anyway. And it's better to be clear and concise and to do it well and to admonish people because when you do it with a heart of love, it will cause that person to grow and it brings out the best. So in other words, what Paul is saying here is that he, Jesus, is the sum and the substance of the message. There's nobody else that he's proclaiming. Whether it's in the saving news, which is being announced to the world to bring men and women to faith, or it's in the teaching which they impart to those who have believed. Either way, it's Jesus. It's straight down the line, Jesus. And then it goes on in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend 
with all the energy Christ so powerfully, the anointed one so powerfully works in me. Wow. So here we have a leader. He's basically saying, this life-giving force that is residing in me, for that to be effective in the outworking of the result of the maturity of the believer, it must be preceded by the death in me as a discipler first. You know, I see so many people want the effective ministry title, but they don't want to do the effective dying part. Yeah? They don't want to do the, they don't want to have it preceded by the death in me. Remember I said before the commissioning comes the breaking. Yeah? Before the releasing comes the burning of God in our lives. This is just, this is a natural journey of leadership and, and, and life in God. And it is a journey as we go with God. So as a leader, Paul lived from that narrow place. He worked with the power of the anointing within him. He cooperated with Christ in him, the anointed one in him. He proclaimed him. He admonished them. He contended strenuously. He was very courageous and he took action as a slave to Christ. He described it as an energy working within him. Isn't that interesting that the New Age also talks about an energy and an aura? But this is the true Christ within this is the real Christ within. He described it as this energy that was working powerfully within him. What is it? It's that reproductive force. It's that creative force. And it takes courage to live in that place. Because it has to make complete the sufferings of Christ in his own fleshly desires. And for the one being led, it needs a cooperation with the anointed one to become mature. And like we've said over the last few weeks, that's cooperating with the firewall that God has placed around you. He's placed an anointing in you. He's put the word of God in the church and the anointing is on the word to renew our minds. And he's placed the structure of the church around us. That's why the Bible says, I believe it's in Hebrews, it says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. This is his body. This is his government here on earth. This is how it works, guys. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. It's not, we're not meant to be out there saying, oh, I don't need to go to church. Well, God's not going to force you to do anything. But if you want to grow, if you want to pay the price to be commissioned by God, there's no, actually no other way to do it. We need to be under that kind of uh, anointing. And like we've read in Ephesians, God actually chose, chooses people, fivefold ministers, to equip the saints for the work of service. And... Um, and it says in, in Ephesians 4.10, it says, um, when he ascended, in verse 11, he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Why? In verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Remember when we talked about the anointing oil? In the recipe, one of it was that you had bitter and sweet together, but it was all bonded together by oil. It speaks of the unity of the church. So it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. That's not talking about you as an individual. That's talking about us as the body. To the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, I want to end with the scripture. It's amazing. 
In 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9, this was about Solomon who is now building the house for God and uh, it's the coming together of the, the meeting together of the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David and it's coming together in one solid place. And it says for you, uh, it says, as for you in verse 9, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. I love that. A whole heart and a willing mind. Surrender your thinking and let your whole heart be his. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. That's incredible. We can say all the right stuff to people around us, but God actually sees everything and knows really what the motive is of our words. So he knows and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Ooh, that's how grand our God is. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10, consider now. So this is God speaking to Solomon as a leader. He said, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. Be courageous and act. You know, as a church over these next few weeks, Brahm and I are about to go away for two weeks. Next Sunday and the following Sunday, we won't be here. We'll be in Indonesia doing DMS. And um, when we get back, I'm going to be picking up the series on the anointing. Um, and we're going to start a bit of a church fast. Because when we, as a lead up into the preaching on the laying on of hands, where we're going to lay hands on people, I want us to be gathering together as a church and going through a bit of a fast and specifically praying into what God wants from us. Because we're, we're not just interested in great meetings. Great meetings come and go. We can have the glory of God here this year, and by the next year, we're back to the business as usual. Does that make sense? We see this sort of thing all the time. There has to be an output of whatever God does in us. There has to be a purpose. And um, it has to be in us, teaching us. And so I want us to begin to pray because there's a refining that God does in the, in the formation of our maturity. You know, I remember um, in, in a church back in the 80s, and we were going through something now. Of course, I was baptized in the Spirit, so I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. We, were, we had the Word of God. I loved the Word of God, but I didn't know the whole Word of God. But even then, God had placed me under leaders who were great, but at this time there was a lot of shifting and shaking happening in this church that we were in. And it turned out God actually dismantled the entire movement, which was worldwide. But at the time, in the local church here in Australia, in Melbourne, there was a lot of contention and jealousies and striving and strife and division that was starting to happen, which hadn't been there before. And people were starting to slander us and slander other people, and it was just, it was absolutely horrible. And I remember there was a point where Brahm and I, we were so not used to that, but we started to protect ourselves and to, to defend ourselves. And then one night, God gave me a dream. This is the anointing within teaching us. I want to give you this one little example. I've got a million examples I can give you. That's lying. It's not a million, but I've got a lot of examples. Um, but in this dream, I dreamt that I, my sister, Janine, was overseas living in England, and I was writing her a letter. And in the letter, I wrote to her, Hi, Jan, you need to, um, you need to open up your Bible and read from Galatians 5, verses 15 to 16. Love, die. And I woke up, and I thought, Galatians 5, 15 and 16. Of course, I hadn't been saved that long. I didn't know what was in those scriptures. So immediately I opened my Bible and this is what it says. 
Um, but do not devour one another, lest you be. Do not bite and devour one another, lest you be consumed by one another. But if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Whoa! I'm like, okay, God, I'm hearing you loudly and clearly. And he was speaking to me. That's, that's a classic example of the anointing within, arresting our actions, teaching us. Like he's tried everything. He's, tried, he's already tried for 10 years to teach me through the word of God. He's probably tried praying it through me by praying in the Holy Spirit. He's, you know, the wisdom of God through the leaders around me. I've probably been taught that in the sermons at some point or another. But remember, there's this firewall that protects us, that keeps us going. So now he's using the anointing within and he's speaking to me in a dream. See, this is how we're formed as leaders. But I still had a choice whether I would respond to that or not. The fear of God came on us so hard that we just stopped. It was like, like something just shut down and we went, okay, that's it, Lord, we're sorry. Teach us how to walk in the Spirit. And that was it from that moment onwards. And God got us out of that terrible dis- uh, situation. And then, of course, so that's the in you to teach you. Then there's the upon you to demonstrate. You know, this is the glory of God living through it. From the minute I got saved, I started leading people to the Lord and getting them filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it was like David when he stood, he stood um, facing Goliath and he said that all may know that there is a God in Israel. So this is who we are meant to be, to, to display this, to be commissioned. Um, you know, we've had many prophetic words over Melbourne life over the years and some significant ones have always been about the apostolic nature of our church that we will be ascending church but then we also had two different prophets come through and say that we were a church that would raise generals and in fact one of the phrases that was used was that we would raise reproducers who will reproduce reproducers because he anoints people who then anoint people and um this is why I want us to, when we come back from Indonesia, we're going to preach into the whole laying on of hands. And I want us to start to prepare. There's got to be an output, guys. What are we going to do? Sit around for another 10 years and just enjoy life and enjoy church and go about our daily business with a world that is literally going to hell and collapsing around us. So let's prepare our minds. Let's gird up our minds. Um, I love in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14, Paul admonishes the people there. He says, act like men, be strong, and everything you do, do it out of the love of God. We've got to be strong. So, you know, we talk about Father's Day. Well, I believe this is the ultimate reproductive father that we have in heaven. His anointing journeys us and moves us from being orphans, which we spoke about in about week two or week three, from being orphans and having an orphan spirit to actually becoming spiritual parents. That's the goal for you and I, to become, and it doesn't matter what age you are, you can be spiritual parents at 21 and 24. You can be spiritual parents no matter what age, whether you're married, whether you're not married, whether you have children or don't have children, because it's him. It's him in you who reproduces. Let's stand. I want the music team to come up. I'd like us to just sing, end with Emmanuel. And, um, you know, I quoted a few weeks ago out of Malachi 4, that the anointing that's coming on the earth is basically a restorative generational anointing. And it's, it's going to be with the spirit of Elijah will come, the Bible says, and it will restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father, fathers. 
And um, I, I just want us to pray for all the men here today. I'm going to ask every single man to stand. I mean, women are standing too. That's fine. And all the women around you, around the men, whether you're married or not married, whether you have children or don't have children, it's immaterial. Can, we, can I just ask that we lay hands on all the men right now as, the, as we start the song? Um, I want us to pray for the men. And um, because, you know what, we churches need father figures. We need fathers and we need father figures. And uh, so I want us to pray for all the men because that's what we need. God wants to restore the generations. Father, in the name of Jesus, yeah, let's just find a man, lay hands on him. Let's just lay hands on them. Come on, get active girls. Go and find someone. Find someone who hasn't got, their ha- hasn't got hands laid on them. Come on, girls, be active. There's a couple down the back. That's it, Bram, that's it. Everyone got hands laid on them? Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for every man. Lord, we ask you, Father, to impart a boldness in their hearts. We ask you to impart a boldness, Lord Jesus, so that there would be a flow of your spirit. Father, you want to restore the generations. You want to restore the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the fathers to the sons. Lord Jesus, I pray for every man in this place right now, every male, Lord, that you would cause them to be step up and to be father figures to those around us, Lord. Lord, we are a little church community, but we have many needs. Father, we are a small group of people, but we have a great God living on the inside of us. And so, Father, we have many needs of the children and the youth who are coming into our church and coming into our community. Lord, we need the flow of fathers. We need the release of the glory of God through them, Lord. Lord. So I pray a release now and an anointing that will come upon them, Lord, to be able to be the fathers and the men, the father figures that you've called them to be. And we thank you for that, Father, right now, in Jesus' name.